I get to see how they move. And if I can give them context with a cue or with a, correct, a corrective, it means more to them. But if they initially start with me and I start cueing them right off the bat, sometimes they haven't had a chance to feel why the cue matters. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by the one, the only, Lee Tech. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of what's new in my neck of the woods, give you my favorite thought for the week, but man, without any further ado, let's jump in. So last week was definitely a good one. Relaunched the Complete Coach Cert. Definitely excited about the relaunch, getting that out into more coaches' hands, trying to make the industry a little bit better as a whole, and you know, just trying to think about, okay, next steps, and I've got a day carved out tomorrow where I'm going to go and kind of think about what are what are the next steps with the cert? What are the next steps with iFastU? How can I continue to level all of these aspects of the education platforms up? So definitely excited about that. Pizza movie night, Friday, watched Mulan. If you uh, have Disney Plus and you're not opposed to some of these remakes that they've made, I was pleasantly surprised. It was a pretty good movie, stuck pretty well to the plot, but you know, a couple wrinkles thrown in there that I liked. And overall, I thought it was a pretty decent movie. So if you've got kids that are that age, definitely recommend it. It was solid. Saturday took a class at the gym. One of our former clients is a Wing Chun instructor. And so he came in and did just like a two hour deal for Bill, myself, and actually Bill's wife, Lisa. The three of us took it together. It was a ton of fun, learned some new things. It was definitely a little bit foreign. Because as a coach and somebody that's coached for a long period of time, I think sometimes you forget what it's like to be the student. So it was really, I don't want to say off-putting, but it was just uncomfortable in some senses because it was foreign territory. It wasn't something I was super comfortable or confident in. So, you know, hopefully that's something I'm going to make a, a more regular thing. Of course, lots of things get thrown in once, you know, spring sports start cranking up. It takes up a big part of my Saturdays. But again, just being in that role and I think constantly reminding ourselves, you know, if you're a trainer or a coach, have what it's like to be the student. So what it's like to have a trainer or to have a coach is very valuable. So definitely looking forward to doing more of that. Soccer season, we've got last week was our second to last week. So kids played really well, playing really hard. Cade's been so much more coachable, not just in in soccer, but I've seen it like the last four to six weeks between the end of basketball, the end of soccer, as we start to ramp up and start to do, you know, just some fun stuff in the yard, throwing the baseball around, hitting balls off the tee, just getting him prepped for baseball. He's been very coachable, really agreeable. So that's been super fun. Uh, hopefully that continues. Kendall's been killing it at soccer. Unfortunately, she only got to play on the field for like a half. She played goalie the second half, which was quite interesting. She deemed herself the no hands goalie. So anytime the ball got near, she just tried to kick it with her foot. So interesting to say the least. Hopefully we don't have to uh, put her in goal anymore. But she's really kind of figured out the last couple of weeks too what it means to really run hard, to give your best effort, to not just kind of loosely chase the ball, but to actively sprint and try and win the ball. So it's been fun to watch her growth and development there. And then kind of the last thing, how we wrapped up last week, was our family has instituted a chore system. 
So I'm sure this is something I'm going to be talking about more in the future. I'm sure there's going to be numerous failures along the way, but just excited to instill some responsibility. I mean, we've got fantastic kids, like the best two little people I could imagine. But again, you know, there's more stuff going on now, right? We've got school, we've got work, we've got a dog, we've got a cat, we've got activities coming, going. So I'll be really interested to see how this goes. So each of us has basically two chores that we do every day throughout the week. And then as a family, we have what we would call our weekly chores, like doing the laundry, sweeping the house, all that good stuff. So I'll definitely be reporting back in on that. Hopefully it goes well. I'm sure there's going to be a few hiccups along the way, but more info to come on that. Now, before we jump into the show with Lee, I want to highlight one of my favorite points of this show. And I think it was something that I needed to learn firsthand as a coach because, you know, while I think I coached speed early on, I don't think I did. Or, and I know I definitely didn't do it very well. Uh, so it was about 2012 when I brought Lee Taft and Nick Winkleman into iFast. We did a one-day seminar, and we just called it the Elite Speed Seminar. So they each did uh, two sessions, about an hour and a half each, and it was just a fantastic event to learn from these guys. And I remember over the years, one of the things that Lee always said was, hey, look, do the drills, do the correctives, do the things you need to do to build the foundation for speed. But when you want to make people faster, you got to get them to compete. And that always stuck out to me. And a lot of the environments that I was in with some of my higher level guys, it would always be one-on-one type stuff. So it'd be hard to get them to compete. You can make it reactive, right? You can have them chase a ball or you can time something to try and get help them get their own personal best. But man, if you can get athletes in a group and get them to compete, now you have an environment where you can really foster speed development. And I know that's something that I still find myself coming back to. I love it when I can get groups and I can get everybody kind of synced up with regards to what day they're doing stuff because and athletes like to compete. Doesn't matter whether it's on a field, on a court, on a pitch, or in a gym. They want to compete. They want to get better. And I was just doing this today. I had this new girl that I've been doing some speed training with. Her dad asked, hey, can you you know just do some sh- sessions with her? Her gait's a little bit funky. Basic stuff, right? She's got a little big, bit of an anterior orientation. So what she wants to do is she wants to stay on the ground a really long time. So she doesn't bring her knees up very high. She pushes for a really long time, gets this really big backside mechanic and leg whip um, before she gets back into it. So we did some drills and I've had her for a couple sessions, but then today I restructured uh, my hours a little bit and put her against one of my other girls and just had them compete. All right, we're gonna do the drills. Hey, let's push the prowler so you find the angles. We're gonna have you do your snap down so you can create stiffness and you know the positions I want you in. And then from there, we let them compete. And dang it, if today wasn't the fastest I've seen the girl run because she was competing against one of her peers. So as you dive into this show with Lee, and again, it's a fantastic episode. Just remember, if you're coaching speed training, given the prerequisites, given the tools, the strength, the stability, the mobility, all those things that help them generate more output, but then when it's go time, Get them in the gym and let them compete because I guarantee that's where you're going to see the biggest changes. All right, enough for me. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome new episode with my guy Lee Taft. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. 
Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple, restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q and A's, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Lee Taft is a speaker, consultant, and coach for people across the globe who want to get faster. Whether it's working with high-level athletes or taking a staff and helping them take their speed game to the next level, Lee is a guy that can help you get there in record time. Now, just going off script a little bit, Lee is one of probably the three most influential people in my career. Obviously, Bill is number one, but way back in 2012, when I knew I wanted to get serious about learning the speed game, Lee was somebody I found then, maybe not for the first time, but really whose work I dove into at that point in time. And I can tell you, he's been a constant mentor and a constant role model for me and helped shape my thoughts on speed training ever since. So this guy is amazing and I can't say enough good things about him. Now, in this week's show, Lee and I obviously are going to talk about speed training. We start by covering the movement patterns that he assesses with all his athletes and how his process has evolved over the years. From there, we dive into the topic of coaching speed. We talk about the importance of understanding intent, the role of mistakes and failures, the need for competitiveness in speed training, and his big no-nos when it comes to coaching speed. Now, as usual, Lee absolutely kills it on this show, and I know you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Lee, man, thanks so much for coming back on the show here today. It's great having you back on. What's new in your neck of the woods, man? Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. This is always my favorite time of the year. I look forward to our talks here. This is, uh, this is great. But yeah, as you know, we talked a little bit because I was noticing the sunshine behind you there. And we live in the sunshine state now. We moved uh, down in uh, the very end of June. We came down to Florida and it's been something we've planned for several years. And because both Jay and Bailey, my daughters are down here, we said, you know what? No better time than this right. year to come down. And uh, of course, it had to be in the middle of a pandemic. But <laughs> right. if you're going to go anywhere, Florida is the place to go That's because right. 
Yeah, they don't care if you share from the same spoon or not at a restaurant. <laughs> they have no, <laughs> they have no restrictions. So that's great. So anyway, we yeah we made the jump and staying very busy. Uh, just but you know again we're doing online like most people you yep. know had to do, but we've pretty much been doing that a lot. So but it's been good. That's awesome, man. Very cool. And for anybody that's been living under a rock for like the past twenty to thirty years. Would you just give us a little insight as to who you are and what you do for a living? Yeah, thank you. Yep. So my my degree was in teaching. So I was a phys ed teacher and and going along with that, you typically coach. So I coached three sports right out of uh, right out of college. And you know, I kind of was in that path for a little bit, but then I went right straight into strength and conditioning. And I actually started at a place that your your listeners will know. It's called IMG. But before it was IMG. It was Bolateri's Tennis Academy. That's all it was. 75 courts. And uh, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth as a full-time strength coach in 91. And then that just kind of took me on a journey from, you know, owning some facilities and doing a lot of traveling and consulting. And now that's kind of what we do a lot of right now is I still work with some athletes, but a lot of what I do is consulting and, you know, and kind of like with you and, you know, just kind of helping the educational process along in our field. And, yep. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much brought me to where we are now and still learning, got a lot to learn. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. I love it, man. And obviously you can go back if you're listening to this. I think this is the third or fourth time Lee's been on. So you make sure you listen to the previous shows. But today, what I really want to talk about is not only assessing speed, but how to coach it more effectively. Because I feel like this is something you're talking a lot about. I think it's something that's getting a lot of play on the, on the social media right now. So for starters, would you just mind talking a little bit about what your goals are when you first evaluate a new athlete? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So anytime I have an athlete come in, I, I truly believe I would like, regardless of if it's a pure sprinter or a field or a court sport athlete, I would like to see how they uh, move in the various seven patterns that we've talked about in the past. So for the listeners, that would be linear acceleration. So a shorter distance of running and then max velocity would be your top end speed. And then I want to look at the two lateral movements, which could be a shuffle and a lateral run, because those tell me a lot about how they use their hips. It tells me what their frontal plane uh, factors are. And then we have two um, retreating patterns. We have a back pedal, which there's a couple of different kind of back pedals, really, because we have subsets of all these. And, you know, we got like a corner back, which I like to call a compact, or we've got this tall back pedal where we stand up a little bit and we stride out a little more. We got those. And then we have what's called a hip turn. So the hip turn is the initiating movement of a retreating skill although we end up doing something else like we could end up doing yeah. one of the other patterns but we at least we start with you know, moving backwards and then we have the jump and the jump obviously you got a lot of variation right because it could be it could be a, a leap it could be a hop it could be you know a lateral jump it could be rotate it could be anything but if i can see an athlete perform those it tells me a lot about how they manage their body, how they handle forces in in all three planes, you know, just yep. how they manage those forces. So that gives me a really good snapshot. And it does not, it it does not have to be maximal speeds initially. You know, you would like to see them there at some point, but at least it gives 
an idea of how they absorb and release forces and stuff like that. So it keeps it pretty clean. Yeah. And when you're doing that first eval, is is that just part of a broader scheme? Like, are you going in and watching them squat and lunge and push up and do all that stuff too? Like, what does the overall session kind of look like? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, so my, my movement patterns are what I just described. Yep. And then my strength patterns, I guess we could say, are basically the patterns that we would all prescribe. You know, I want to see a knee bending and a hip, hip bending. I want to see a push and a pull and in a vertical and horizontal aspect. Uh, I want to see like, can they step up and can they lunge in multi-direction? So I want to see basic stuff like that. And the thing that I've, I've kind of gotten, I think better at, and I don't know if, you know, I don't know if it's just because I, it, it, it helps me is I always have an idea of what I want to start with. I don't always end up there. It's kind of like right. when I'm starting assessing, it's kind of like, uh, this person's showing me something. I think I want to go down that path versus where I originally attended because I think yep. it's going to give me more value. So we started on those things. I will look at like, I have this little cheesy massage table that I've had forever. I think I bought it at a BJ's. I went in for water. I walked out with a massage table for like 150 bucks and had the thing for like 20 years. And so I use that thing. I'll put somebody on it and I might look at, you know, can they internally rotate okay at the hip? Can they, you know, what's their straight leg raise look like? And just, you know, basic stuff like that kind of gives me an idea. But when I get them up and moving, then I try to connect the dots. Like, yeah. what did it look like on the table? Am I seeing that standing? Or what I saw on the table, I'm like, huh, I'm, I'm not seeing that now when they're actually up and moving. So they're either good at compensating yep. or I missed it. Maybe I need to look at it again. So Right. I love that. I love that. So it's fair to say that things are a lot more organic now, probably for you than when you started, right? Definitely. Yeah. It just becomes, I think what happens, I still remember the first real big assessment that I learned. It was detailed. And I think it was like two and a half hours. Like I was exhausted oh by the end of it. <laughs> it was this great big assessment. I had a checklist. I went through and then I got all this information. I'm like, now what the hell do I do? I'm like, right. I, I don't know what to do with it. So now I'm kind of like, I know I'm going to train the person anyway. So tomorrow when they come back and we start on their program, I know I'm going to have to make adjustments anyway, but at least the assessment is going to say, okay, well, be ready for that. Don't, yep. you know, don't uh, be misguided on how you handle that thing because that overpronation of that right foot or that Trendelenburg on the step up has got to be dealt with, you yep. know. So that kind of gives me some red flags. I'm just looking for two, three red flags that I can say, all right, let's avoid doing too much damage to that area. Let's or let's yeah. send them up to iFast and let you guys <laughs> take care of them and then send them back to me, you know. Right. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, we obviously did an entire podcast on program design. So, I don't want to dive too deeply into that here. But what I'd love to talk about is coaching because I know that's something we're both very passionate about. Yeah. Now, when it comes to speed training, do you have any general rules when it comes to coaching and cueing? You want to make sure that an athlete understands their intent. So if I'm working with a sprinter, very, very simple, okay? You, their, their goal is to go as fast as they can from the start and get to the end as fast as they can. Right, so I can become much more dynamic with their, their uh, principles. Like I, I can make sure that they stay closer to the model. I don't want too much freedom 
I, because I know what Carl Lewis did, and I know what Ben Johnson, and I know what Usain Bolt, I know what the best sprinters have done. So I got to get close to that if I want these athletes to do that. But if we're talking about multi-directional speed and we start talking about things like that, I just have to make sure that they understand where to apply force to move their mass where they want to go. If they can get good at that and then how to do it. Like if they're, if I'm pushing my left foot into the ground to move to my right, but I'm putting my left foot on the ground and I'm like way up on the ball of my foot or my foot is really externally rotated. Okay, that's outside my model. I, I have a model in my head, it's outside it. So when I watch an athlete move, Mike, that's kind of what I'm looking at in the initial stages of speed. I just watch them do that. And those are the things, if they can show me that, now I can start to add. I can add resistance or assistance or reactionary stuff. I can do different things with them. Right, so when you get somebody and they do fit outside of what you would describe as kind of your technical model, right? At what point do you say, okay, this is just them versus nah, this is something that I need to address or I need to dig deeper on? Yeah, yeah. That, and that's the one That's the one I think we, get, we dive in and out of because if, if I see someone that is mechanically low functioning versus dysfunctional, so a dysfunctional person would be someone that if you, if I sent them to you or to Bill and you guys said, Lee, they got a bony block. They just, they can't get there. Right. They got a, that's a dysfunction to me. I can't, that's not me. I, somebody else has to fix that or show me how to fix that. Right. right. But if it's low functioning, they lack strength or maybe a little bit stiff somewhere, they're not getting there. If they, if they are in that realm, then that's something that I want to address, okay? If that low functioning is is not allowing them to hit numbers that I want them to hit, if I'm maybe I'm defending you, Mike, and you just keep beating me to the right, but to the left, I'm able to cut you off, you know, maybe on the baseline right. or maybe up the sideline. And I notice that I that those are those are red flags for me. I'm like, we we have to address that. So I like film. Film helps me. Yep. So if I see a player on film or in a training session, if I film some way, if I just keep seeing patterns that are not conducive to successful movement, we're going to intervene then. But if it's early in the skill acquisition phase, I'm okay with them having low function because I just have to know that it's because they haven't had enough reps and what appears to be a low functioning or a strength deficit. Sometimes it's just, they haven't created a solid pattern yet. Yeah. The brain hasn't given them the freedom to say, yep, you got full reign now, just go. The brain is still a little bit cloudy. It hasn't myelinated a pattern that we really want. So I'm okay with giving people time, but if it goes beyond like two to three weeks and it's not getting any better, then that's when we got to reevaluate something. I love maybe it. it's understanding. You know, maybe it's just understanding. Maybe I didn't describe it the way that they, I thought they were understanding it. And, yeah. and then when you re-explain it, they're kind of like, oh, all right. I thought you meant this. I'm like, we then, went two weeks of all because I didn't explain it the right way. <laughs> right, right. So this is great because, you know, something that I know you've been talking a lot about on social media is this idea of letting athletes feel stuff before you start cueing them. And this is something I think, or a mistake that we've all probably made in the past, right? Like we want to cue on the first rep. And if it's not first rep, second rep, if it's not perfect, we're like on them. 
So could you explain why it's so important to not start queuing right away? Yeah. Uh, well, I think the one thing that an athlete does, if you and I took a soccer athlete, okay, or a basketball athlete, whatever, and we watch them play, we're going to notice that they put zero thought into their footwork, into their mechanics. They're trying to they're trying to mark somebody or defend someone, or if they have the ball in their hand, they're trying to make a play. They're not thinking, what should my foot do, right? They're just yep. thinking of competing. So when we start training an athlete, that's the culture they're used to. They're used to just competing and letting their body be the vehicle to get them to accomplish a task. So when I start training them, if I can get them to feel like that and, and maybe chase a partner or chase a ball that I tossed out, I get to see how they move, okay? Mm -hmm. And if I can give them context with a cue or with a, correct, a corrective, it means more to them. But if they initially start with me and I start cueing them right off the bat, sometimes they haven't had a chance to feel why the cue matters. Right. Like they haven't had a chance to feel why, they're like, Lee, why are you, why are you telling me to do this? I, I, I don't feel like I'm doing it wrong. But if they keep getting beat, now they got contacts. Now I'm like, well, keep getting beat. Every time the person goes to your left, you're like left. But when you go to your right, you're good. Right. That's why I'm making you do this fake throw or low box, or maybe we're doing a, a, a mini band around the knees to get your hips turned on or something. Right. At least now I have power over them to say, this is why. And here's the context of why we're doing it. Yeah, I love that. And I think Sometimes, too, I, I think you kind of alluded to it, at least on some of the posts that I've seen lately, where it's like, you know, sometimes they just need more time, right? Like, sometimes it doesn't happen immediately. Like, even if it's a high-level athlete, if they've trained a certain way or they've had some level of success with a different strategy and now you're giving them a different one, sometimes it just takes time, like you said, to myelinate those pathways and to try and get them just moving in what we would determine or what we would say is a more efficient and effective way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, it's so funny how quickly we forget how our children learn. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. You watched your kids try to get off, get up from crawling and start taking that first step. Right. And yep. I remember my kids doing that and, and, and we had no power. <laughs> no power to help them. We wanted right. to help them, right? We wanted right. to tell them that you just got to let it go. It's the same thing when we taught them how to ride a bike. They, those are processes that the, the, the body is going to start organizing its feelings. It's going to organize its sensations and, and it's going to make sense of it. But we interrupt it. We interrupt it because we start telling it to do something else. Well, you got to just give them time to experience. And I know this is a, you know, a phrase that's thrown around a lot more, but there's so much to it is failure is one of our best teachers. And it's yep. not because we want them to be unsuccessful. We want them to learn better ways. And yep. you learn better ways from doing a not so successful way. And then eventually, because there's a task attached to the skill, you're going to figure out, well, that one's not working. No, nope, that one didn't work either. Okay, I'm getting closer. There we go. Now I got it. And all yeah. of a sudden, you can just see the athlete turn around after doing a rep with a smirk on their face like, got it. Yeah. Now I see what you mean. And it's, it's for us as coaches, it's kind of that 
powerless feeling, but yet we know if we just let it happen and we just keep encouraging and guiding, it'll happen. We just got to let it go. And that's hard for us because that's not what yeah. we're taught. We're taught to fix things. Yes. And, and sometimes the best way to fix it is let the most powerful engine out there, the brain, let it do let it do its job, you know? Absolutely. You know, it's funny you said that because I just wrote down the role of failures and mistakes. Like this is something when, at least when I was growing up, I feel like there was such uh, a focus. And again, part of this is just a generational thing on like perfection and doing things the right way. And, and now here we are, you know, I've been doing this 20 years. I think you're 30 some years in. Like now we realize, oh, wait, failure and mistakes. Those are the best ways to learn, right? Yeah. Assuming they don't get injured and they don't get hurt in the process. Like that refinement process and those failures, that's how you hone in and figure out, oh, wait, this is the most effective way to do something. But you got to right. you got to make those mistakes on your own to figure it out. Exactly. And I think what's really important to understand for coaches is there really is an importance to reducing the conscious effort when we're in certain skill modes. Mm -hmm. Other skill modes we need. It. If I need, like if, Mike, if you need me to feel my right scapula, okay, yeah. you got to either do something, you got to poke me there, you got to tell me something, you got to put a ball there, or right. something. If you want me to elevate it or do something, you got to give. That's a part of learning. But then there's this other part of skill learning that the conscious efforts get in the way. Yes. We need the task to drive the skill that we want to happen. We just have to choose the right task. Yep. So if I choose a task like a ball drop at five yards for short acceleration, I don't have to say much. Right. If, I, if I'm five yards from you and I drop a ball at my shoulders, you know, without me saying anything, you got to get on your horse and really put full throttle because that's a long distance to catch a ball after one, one right. about 15 feet. That's a long ways. So I don't have to say a lot because all I'm trying to do is get you to learn how to push harder, yes. and how to chase your shoulders or whatever. But again, if I'm trying to make it like an internal change, okay, now I have to switch my my gears a little bit and maybe tell you to feel something. Yes. So sometimes we get athletes in dangerous positions because we make them do something that should be unconscious, but we make it conscious. And that's when all of a sudden they roll their ankle or they do something crazy because they're thinking too much rather than just being reactive. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So this fits seamlessly. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you look at, I call them more speed correctives. Yeah. How do you look at speed correctives and then where do they fit into your system? How do you apply them? So, and, and you're talking any kind of speed, like any. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the, the speed correctives are the fix for the solution that I think is best. So if I'm watching an athlete do, let's, let's look at a base dealer. Yep. Okay, that's a good visual because it, it just shows a lot. Yeah. They got a wide stance. They're loaded. Now they become very dynamic and they push it open to their right. Yep. Okay. So if I see somebody take off multiple times and I just keep noticing they rise, they go into big back extension, they, and they don't cover much ground. In other words, they don't translate towards second yes. base or something like that. Okay. Yep. That's a pretty good visual. So my corrective has to fix that problem that I'm seeing. 
Now I have to identify the problem. So is the problem the left foot maybe is externally rotated too much, which is actually a good good thing because just not too long ago, somebody showed me a picture of or a video of a guy stealing and their left foot was really externally rotated. So what happened was, yeah, they lost, they lost that load in the ankle because the minute the foot externally rotates away from second base, that left foot, the back foot, they're not dorsiflexed as much. They're right. just, they're not loaded. So now they couldn't push as much. So they popped up, went into extension to get the front foot to drive under them more versus just being able to move the whole unit yeah. towards the base. And then that front foot, you almost move over it. And then it pushes down and back, but it's as I'm moving over it. So my fix might be, all right, first of all, let's get your foot straight. And if it's if it's not a bony block or something, I should be able to get their foot straight. And then the other thing is for them to feel that uh, low functioning setup, I might either get in front of them, like get on their right hip and either push them back, put my hand on their hip and push them, or I could get behind them, like I could be on first base, put a band around them. And all I want them to feel is like, your foot isn't supporting this push very good because you're too externally rotated. You need to get that full foot. You need to dorsiflex, have that shin angle, and then you're able to push away. So that solution fixes that problem. So my corrective fixes the problem. Now we could go right through linear speed, linear acceleration, back pedaling, change of direction, and we do the same thing. Notice what's the big rock that they're not hitting in your model. And if you can find the solution or the fix to that, sometimes you can fix them just like that. Yeah. And, and it's just it's just about getting them feeling feeling what you want them to feel. And it's based on position, posture, position equals function, right? If we can yep. get them in the right, but but they have to, you know, that that's where the context comes in too, as we talked about before. No, I love that. I love that. And it's like you said, first off, that's a great visual, right? That idea of a base stealer. But I think the other thing that I appreciate about that too is I think the longer you do this, the more minimalist you kind of become, oh, right? Because oh, yeah. I know when I was first starting to learn your systems and understand speed better. It's like, oh man, I'm throwing all these different like correctives. And, and then you were like, well, why are you doing that? And I'm like, uh, I thought that's how you did it. <laughs> and you're like, no, you only have to throw it in. If there's some sort of issue that you have to address, if they have the base level skill down, let them train the skill and let it be reactive and let them learn that way. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it also <laughs> cuts down on training time and is a lot more efficient in the process too. It does. Yeah. And that's a great point because again, it goes back to conscious and subconscious training. You know, if, if, if I need them to think about something, I might add some more tools, you know, yes. if I need to get them in there, but if I'm just trying to give them a, a context of how to move, how to go, how to cut that angle off, how to do that. Sometimes all I need is a cone, just bring a cone out, put it down, put another cone here and say, go right. <laughs> get there quick. I'm big on if there's a way like I could use my stopwatch on my watch here, or if I could have them go with a partner and match speeds. I think competition brings out posture sometimes that yes. we want when they don't go as hard. They don't have the need to hit the same postures that they're going to have to hit when they're really competing. Yep. And that's all simplicity. That's that, you know, we're now we're training sometimes just effort because F well, Let's take strength training. 
if I use half my effort on a max effort, that's not going to turn out well. Right. That's just, right. It just, even if I use three quarters of my effort on a max effort, it just, the, the numbers don't add up. Well, if you're faster than me, I have to find the angle and that angle from geometry has to match where you're going to be. Yes. In my speed. So I have to learn it and I can't do that going half speed. Yep. So I have to be able to, so sometimes our solutions come from just changing effort, yep. change effort and intent of that effort. And then we can get people in better postures. Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, so I'm interested in this one. Do you have any big no-nos when it comes to coaching and queuing speed? Yeah, um, so if I'm going to go, I'm going to start off with linear stuff because that's okay. such a good visual for people. And that's yep. what most of us learned, right? And most moms and dads understand some of this stuff here. So um, we, if we start with the arms, the one thing that we were all taught, and I was taught this as a high school track athlete even, is everything was 90 degrees at the arm. So when we cue 90 degrees when we're accelerating or even to a degree in sprinting, um, we're missing opportunities to provide coordination and provide uh, force. Right? Yeah. Because the, the longer I allow my arm to go, the more it matches up with the opposite side. It, and especially in acceleration. Acceleration, the big no-no that people have in acceleration is they teach quickness of turnover right out of the gate. Yep. And the problem is if you weigh 200 pounds and you're starting dead, which Newton's going to say changing inertia, right? Where yeah. you've got this dead body, we got to get it moving. <laughs> well, dead body's not a great example. <laughs> yes. Body not moving. Yes. <laughs> we want to get that moving. So I have to apply a lot of force in a direction opposite of where I want to go. My arm opening way up on the backside at least 120 degrees is going to aid in that pushing. So when a mom or a dad or a, a youth coach tells their kids 90 degrees in their arms, you're reducing the potential to travel through space faster and more efficiently. So that's a big no-no. And then obviously, um, you know, when we, you know, when we start accelerating, we don't want to have any kind of cyclical action. And it wasn't that long ago. I just saw a video and it, I have no idea who it was, it was just a random video, but they were teaching, you know, kind of heel circle on the initial acceleration. And it, it just was so disjointed where it needs to be more of a, like, I guess, like a piston or yep. drive forward and back until we start coming upright. And then we start stepping. Yep. So that's another no-no. We got to allow the foot to recover much lower because we need to be in a lean and that fits the angles we need relative to the upper body. So my shin here, my upper torso here, you know, we can't be like this yep. and expect to have good acceleration. So those are a couple no-nos that are, that are big ones. Let me give you one more laterally. Please. Laterally, if we're talking about the shuffle, actually, I'll give you two more real quick um, ones here. The, the more shuffle, the better. <laughs> For years, I've had people um, uh, not, you know, kind of confused as to why I would teach an open front foot. And first of all, I don't ever teach them to turn their foot open. I know if they apply enough force, the kinematics of that front leg is just going to naturally, because of 
the escape mechanisms of humans, we will naturally push and open. Yes. And that's what allows us to create more force on the backside. So the front leg opens. So if I'm shuffling and I shuffle fast and you work with basketball at a high level, if you just watch the Pacers game tonight, if they're on or whomever, you'll notice somebody guarding them, that front foot just turns open and they'll pull a lot of times with that front leg after they push with the back. But coaches who teach straight feet, it just doesn't fit with the human movement. No. You know, the, the way that we move uh, naturally and it doesn't from even like a, a physics standpoint, the, the numbers don't add up really well. And then the other one is when we do what I like to call a lateral run because it better describes what we do, but most people call it a crossover. So it's when I'm going to go to my right and the, the left leg ends up coming across. Well, we need to clear space. So for my left femur to have a pathway to get me going that way, even if my upper body staying somewhat squared, I need to open the front side. That allows my backside space to get through. Plus I'm using more appropriate muscles to produce force with versus like internal rotators, external rotators that aren't really there to produce massive force. Yep. So those are two to three no-nos that I think we've got to recognize better. And the cool thing, Mike, is if you and I never knew a thing about this, if we were starting back in high school and just started to watch video and notice, we would notice all these things. Yep. They would all be right. We would just see them happen. Oh, look at that guy. Look at Dr. J. Dr. J <laughs> on defense. He's shuffling with his foot open and Look at him open his hip. You know, he's not crossing over a fixed foot. Right. We wouldn't see that stuff. So it's already there for us. We just have to pick up the clues, you know? See, I think that's one thing where in our world, we overcomplicate things. And I'd like to think we're going to get better about it as, as, you know, there's more film out there as we improve our knowledge of human movement. But man, yeah, I think early on, we tried to overcomplicate things and overthink it. Yeah. And then you're right. When you start like, Hit the mute button. Don't listen to the commentators. You know, record the game. Watch it normal speed. Watch it in slow-mo. Man, it's all right there for you. I, I thought of you the other day, and so this is totally off script. But, you know, we've talked about athletes playing at different levels, right? You know, you got your guy that is just comfortable sitting down in a stance, and the coach is, oh, great, great position. Well, I got another guy, and this guy's as bouncy and athletic as you can imagine. And so the coaches have always yelled at him, oh, get your butt down, get your butt down. And he folds over and he's slow. <laughs> and so I told him this summer, I'm like, dude, why are you trying to do that? That's not the way you play. And so we were watching film the other day and this guy plays higher now. Man, he looks quick and he looks athletic. And it's just like you were talking about. There's not like this one size fits all approach to movement and athleticism. You got to figure out what works for you. That's right. And the thing is, he still fits your model of lateral movement he fits it because all the like he checks all the boxes yeah he pushes with the correct leg he does a thing with the front leg his body's yeah. in the right position it's just he's doing it from a different level yeah but it still hits the same exact model you yeah. know it's just and that's you're exactly right it, that's a big one in tennis tennis coaches yeah. drive me nuts they're trying <laughs> to get their people on the baseline down like a you know down like a a linebacker ready to hit somebody down nice right. and low. I'm like, first of all, they got the net in front of them. They got the net cord. That's why tennis players bounce high. It's easier for yes. them to see. But why have them sit low 
when they're going to need too much power to get out of that stance when all we want is that elastic response yes. you know and it's the same thing yeah that that's such a great point too because if you think about it too just from a mechanical perspective when you're sitting down in that stance imagine sitting in a quarter or half squat for an extended period of time like your quads are destroyed let yeah. alone like you said if you can use that free energy use that elasticity to make that first move it's just so much more energy efficient as well that's right. That's right. And, and athletes are going to find the angle they need. It's, yes. That's why it's cast driven. Yep. If the tennis ball is hit from me, you know, 10 feet from me, I'm going to find an angle that allows me to push quickly for 10 feet. But if it's outside the doubles line, I'm going to find an angle that's going to let me that that's just intuitive with players who've played a long time. That's why we got to stop trying to trump experience. Yes. Experience should be teaching us. Yes. We should be paying attention to Federer, and taking what he's doing and trickle down, and then we can, you know, let these other players. Well, this is why these guys do this because they've seen a million balls. So right. they're not, you know, you're not stumping them anymore. And <laughs> uh, so they, you know, they know what to do. They figure it out, right? Yep. All right. So we've done the big question before. So I want to go in a little bit different direction this time. What advice would you give to a young coach who is really serious about getting great at coaching speed? Coaching speed, yeah. So first of all, I would want them to have a really good understanding of Newton's laws. If, if they yep. understand that basics, because then it's really hard to get fooled. They might not understand how to fix something always. That's going to come with experience. And we can talk about that in a second. But if they understand the laws of force application acceleration, you know, action, all that stuff, man, you just have a really good understanding of what an athlete should do to move fast through space, regardless of the movement. I like them to just kind of study that. And that's so readily available. You can Google it and you'll get these little, you know, tutorials on, on sprinting or whatever that applies those laws. And it's really cool. Then I think, again, I'll go back to um, those seven patterns I said. And this is why, um, you know, I've, over the years, I've created little courses and little stuff on those because I think if an athlete understands those foundations, they can go into any sport and understand why a soccer player moves the way they do for speed, why a basketball player moves a little bit different, but kind of similar, yep. why a, a football player has to do what they do, why a volleyball player? Now there's a different because what does a volleyball player have to do? They got to protect the floor from the ball, right? They don't yeah. want that ball to touch the floor. So they move much lower except for the front row players. So now we've got all these, take a left tackle, a left tackle. They're doing one of our seven patterns. They do a shuffle, but it's, it, they would call theirs like a kick slide and it's a much different pattern than like a basketball player. Yeah. So if this young person understands physics, understands basic models of those movements, they can look at a, a left tackle and say, yep, that's a shuffle. It just is different because of their task. Yes. Their task is different. So when you get a young young guy or girl that learns these things, those, you know, the, the seven patterns in, in physics, how, they, how those patterns should be uh, applied, Gosh, they have such a great start. Yes. And then the correctives come from listening to guys like you and, you know, other guys that are good at saying, well, look, at this is what we do to fix 
a low functioning area. This is how we can get it. That, that takes a little bit more time, yep. but boy, if they can recognize it, they can come to you and say, hey, they're not hitting the model. They're struggling. And then you look at it and say, well, okay, here's some things we might do. Right. So that's where I would really like to see our young coaches. Let's understand that stuff because then the world's wide open to you. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything more important than learning those seven movement patterns like you alluded to. And I think in the last 10 years as a coach, that's been the most valuable thing for me is, I mean, I yeah. still remember 2012, the elite speed seminar, you and Nick Winkleman uh, yeah. coming in and man, that just really kickstarted my, my curiosity with regards to speed and athletic development. And I feel like I've taken so much away from that. And the best part is if you understand, like you said, when you understand those patterns, you can apply them and see them in every sport you coach. Yeah. Right. Be a generalist with regards to movement. And then you can understand the specifics as it applies to any given sport. Yeah. So I'm coaching my son's U14 uh, soccer. OK. So my wife volunteered me. So I got, <laughs> <laughs> she, she got the email from the club. Yeah. It's a big club, huge club. And, and uh, she goes, they're looking for coaches. And so I, so I, I I'll do it. And so. <laughs> So we, we practice once a week or whatever, but th what happened is somehow they found out that I do speed training and they want to bring speed training into the club. So I nice. met with their new director and we're talking and we're going through stuff. And, and he said, he goes, well, you do speed stuff, but he goes, do you understand soccer speed though? <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm, saying, uh. I'm saying to him, I'm saying, well, yes, I, I do. But let me explain. I said, whether it's basketball or, you know, soccer or tennis or whatever. The, I said, wouldn't you agree that the athletes have to be able to be fast, they have to change directions, they have to have the, he goes, oh yeah. I said, well, so yes, I do understand it because that's, that's what it is. It's, it's about making them. I said, how they move as a soccer player will be dictated how they practice. Yes. That, you know, it just gets absorbed into the practice. You know, they'll, they'll yes. just do it. My job is to make them faster and quicker and, better feet and better this you coaches teach them how to play soccer they'll use what i'm giving just it'll just be at a faster pace you know they'll be able to do it better yeah but so you know in his mind it's a totally different world like Absolutely. no 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 soccer speed isn't basketball speed it's soccer speed i'm like well, no it's it's speed it's right speed we, is speed and the sooner yeah. the sooner you can help people understand that i think it's hard and i think it's like that in every sport right every sport thinks they're like this unique flower and there's soccer speed and basketball speed. Well, but you, Oh, but do you understand baseball? Like if you understand the mechanics, you teach me the specifics and I can help you. Right. right because right. I understand all the general principles. Okay. Yep. So last but not least lightning round Four fairly right. short questions. Your answers as long or short as you like. Number one, Do I have to stretch before we start. No, 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 no. You're ready. I've okay. seen you. I've seen you present 50 <laughs> times, man. You're always ready. Okay. All right, good. <laughs> Number one, it's a two-parter. How is Florida these days, and how much do you miss Indiana? Oh, <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Uh, the, I'll go the second one first. Okay. I miss you guys. I miss the, I miss the coaching community. I don't think people realize the, the, the talent that's been in Indiana. Yeah. You know, like in, in surrounding Indianapolis, and then of course there's different, you know, up north and south. And I miss that. You know, yeah. I of course I miss. You know, all of you guys being there and Rufus and just, yeah. you know, all the 
all the guys and gals that are just really good people and we miss that and you know and of course brennan who you know misses you know his friends and all so we miss that part but florida has florida has given uh me as a as a person that's you know got a tremendous amount of life still but getting older i'm 55 and I like to move. I like to get out. I like sun. Yes. I like being in the sun, you know, and I walk a lot. It's just given me the opportunity to do that all the time. You know That's what I mean? It's awesome. just never a day. Even when we've had days that are, you'll laugh at this, but like a cold morning in the 40s, you know, right. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's still 40, right? It's right. still something you put a sweatshirt on and you're good to go. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's been really good. That's awesome, man. Happy for you. <laughs> okay. Number two, how's the tennis game treating you? I know you know, you've been we, really diving into that space. So yes, absolutely. We we were playing a lot, Jen and I and Brennan, and we were hitting an awful lot. We moved, okay. so we moved when we first were down here. We were in a, a little city called Nokomis, which is right next to Venice. You know, okay. so it's right next door to it. And we were playing all the time. We've moved, and uh, the tennis courts are like fifteen minutes from us or twenty minutes from us. And Brennan's in school now, so we haven't played as much. But, okay. man, I'll tell you, I was loving it. And, Mike, I'm going to tell you, the sport that is we had to fight to get court time with is pickleball. Pickleball really? is yes. dominating the courts. You can't even get on a court to play tennis because everybody's on pickleball. Yes. So my old neighbor was like a semi-professional tennis player, and mm. he's obsessed. He's obsessed with pickleball now. Like, that, uh, that's all he wants to play, pickle and paddle. He plays yes. a lot of paddles still too. So yes, absolutely. I love yeah. it. Jay, Jay went out to California recently, and uh, she went out to visit some friends. And she goes, "We ended up playing uh, pickleball." And she goes, "Now I'm obsessed with it. I love it." So it's, <laughs> it's amazing how addictive it is. Well, it's fun too. Like I always tell my basketball players, like if you move well laterally, you've got a lot of the foot skills necessary to be a decent tennis player. You know, yeah. like if you watch how they move, there's a lot of similarities there. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number three, you've been working hard on the podcast for quite some time now. So I'm really interested. What's one thing you've learned from that process? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I really enjoy it. And I have the, obviously the Blue Top Performance podcast. And then I, because I dove into the tennis niche, we got the tennis speed yep. uh, podcast. The, the one thing that I learned because I wasn't sure how I was going to do these because I've listened to yours and been on yours and a lot of other people have done them. I learned that my style is best if I ask a question and just get out of the way. Yes. I don't, because I've had people say to me like, well, Lee, do you agree, agree with that person? Or, you know, why didn't you disagree or whatever? I said, That's not my role. My role is to get my platform. I wanted to expose uh, people to yes. this this speaker or this new coach. I try to go after coaches sometimes that people haven't even heard of, but are really good. Yep. And I've learned that that was my style because initially I thought, oh yeah, we'll get in discussion and all this. Right. And it was funny, Mike. The very first person I had was Dan Path. I'm thinking about talking about diving <laughs> in head first. I'm right. like, I got Dan Path, right. and I'm like. I just said something and shut up and let him talk. Yes. And uh, yeah, so that's what I learned is my, I learned more about my style. I'm like, I just enjoy asking the question, letting them go and, ex, you know, explain why they do things the way they do it. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I had people early on that were like, you, you don't do it like that. Why didn't you challenge them? Why didn't you call them out? I'm like, that's not the purpose of this. You know, yeah. like my job is to get the best out of them 
let them say what they say. And then it's for the listener to figure out, like, do I agree with this? Does this jive with how I, I think? Or does this work with my philosophy? Like, everybody's entitled to do things a little bit differently. And I think when you sit back and you you kind of have your guiding principles, right? Yeah. And and if you have those guiding principles, then you can pick and choose from a lot of different people. You don't have to be in just, just the lead Taft camp. You know, yeah, as much right. as I've learned from you, like, I use you as my filter but then, hey, you know, if somebody else has something worth listening to, I want to listen to them and apply that to the model to make it better. So, hundred percent, that's exactly the way I like it, and it just and it gets people. I've had some people on my podcast that are that are young and and fairly new, but incredibly intelligent. Yep. Like just really, they they said some things where I'm thinking, oh my gosh, for like a 27 year old, <laughs> that, that's that's really good stuff. I didn't even right. think of that. And so it just gets it out there. It gets, you know, conversation going and not everybody has to be Joe Rogan. Right. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Lee Taft, man? What are you working on? What you got going on? So a large, and and you know this, but a large part of our business for many, many years has been uh, camps and clamps. I've run just hundreds of them and I just did a lot of them. So we started to get more and more questions. So Jen and I, started a, a, you know, kind of like a coaching course. Okay. And that's really where we're expanding now. We've had, we did a 12 week one. And then when that finished, we did another one, but we cut it to six weeks because, you know, we evaluated the 12 week. It was good, but we feel like there were things that we probably could have not shared right off. I got you. Gone with a smaller one. And so we've had uh, multiple, you know, a lot of coaches in each one of them. And those have gone really, really well. So we're trying to we're trying to dive deeper into this camp clinic model of a business, like how to run businesses with it. Yep. And so we've helped a lot of people that are, uh, you know, I've got several coaches in Canada that are in it that were completely shut down. They couldn't do anything. Wow. So we taught them how to do it online because you can do camps and clinics online, but okay. you, you have no barriers yes. uh, other than just not being in person. So. That's a lot of what we've been doing, and that's been fun. That's been a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Well, Lee, as always, it's been fantastic catching up with you here today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great stuff that you're doing? Uh, thanks, Mike. This is always fun for me. I always appreciate you so much. So if they go to at Lee Taft, that's pretty much anything social media-wise. Or if they want to go to LeeTaft.com, they can, you know, catch me there. And my email is LT, just my initials, at LeeTaft.com, and that's that can get them right directly to me. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty good at getting back to everybody, you know, as fast as I can, obviously we get sure. busy, but, but I try to answer everybody's questions and I always appreciate everyone. So, uh, but this has been great, Mike. Yeah. Lee, thanks again for coming on, buddy. It's always great catching up. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you. Best of luck with everything. friend that does it for this week's show with lee sincerely hope you enjoyed it like i said i think lee's been on this show four five maybe six times across you know the old in the trenches fitness and then now the physical prep podcast and i kind of joked with him last year and i'm like look dude if i don't have you on my show at least once a year like i'm doing something wrong because lee is that influential he's that thought-provoking and most importantly he's always evolving his process 
This guy could have sat back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and just been like, look, I got this figured out. You people don't really know how this is done. And he doesn't. He continues to get better. He continues to strive for excellence. Man, I just can't say enough good things about him. So if you enjoyed this episode, I think you will also like other episodes of the Physical Prep Podcast. So if you're not already subscribed, please take two seconds out of your day and do that right now. Wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, even Amazon Podcasts, find us there, click the subscribe button so that you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.